I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are so excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome, and thanks again for joining us. Great to be with you, Mike, with you, Mary. Thank you so much. Archbishop, I know it sounds like you've had uh, quite the busy uh, past few weeks, quite the busy month. How, how have you been? How are things going? Things are going fine. Um, uh, my ministry has taken me outside of the diocese for the last few weeks. Uh, I spent uh, a week in Rome with uh, Archbishop Gomez, the Archbishop of Los Angeles and the president of our conference. Uh, I, as the vice president, accompanied him uh, for meetings to uh, the heads of six offices in the Roman Curia, wow. and also to an audience with our Holy Father, uh, which was uh, about 45, 50 minutes long. Huh. Uh, the point of these meetings every year is to uh, brief uh, the Holy Father and his co-workers on what we bishops are doing, and to uh, uh, hear from them a uh, uh, direction they'd like us to follow, and, uh, just to be sure that uh, our communion with the Pope is very effective and uh, we're living it out as uh, brother bishops in the Episcopal College. Hmm. And then when that was done, I had a, a few days pause and uh, then I went on a pilgrimage in the footsteps of St. Paul, in mostly in Greece. Nice. Beautiful. That's awesome. I was talking to my friend Eileen and she was with you in Greece. She was at a football game with me and she said it was just a beautiful experience. I couldn't wait to hear all the stories. It sounded pretty wonderful. It was grand. Uh, one of the high points, though this isn't in Greece, there there is an, an excursion into Turkey to Ephesus mm. and uh, we were able to have mass at the chapel adjacent to the home where tradition says St. John took care of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Wow. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. Awesome. That's really Archbishop, awesome. Archbishop, have, have you ever traveled there before into, into Greece or Ephesus in that area? I had been to Ephesus before in some parts of Greece, but the parts of Greece that we were new to me was northern Greece, uh, Thessalonica, hmm. uh, Philippi, uh, Macedonia, where uh, Paul uh, entered into Europe in response to his vision of a Macedonian who said to him, come over here and help us. Uh, hmm. Yeah. So fantastic. I'm glad you got that time away. It does sound a little exhausting, but also I'm sure really filled with grace. I saw some pictures of you um, in the, uh, in, in, it seemed like in an office with Pope Francis and just a couple people, right? Right. That That's the Holy Father's private library wow. where he uh, has uh, private audiences. So it was the Archbishop, uh, Archbishop Gomez, myself, and our two principal uh, co-workers, the General Secretary of the conference, uh, Father Fuller, and his associate General Secretary, Father Hartman. So what wow. was uh, the Pope on one side of his library table and the five of us on the other? Wow. It was so, wow. uh, the picture that they shared on uh, social media, it was just so intimate, you know? And I, it was, mm. as, as, as part of the laity, it was pretty crazy to just see uh, you so close, right, to the the leader of our church. When you're there, is it was there kind of a, a feeling of um, just great grace? Is it? Are you aware that you're? For me, it would be you know I'm meeting with the Pope, or is it this is a brother bishop and we're all moving towards the same direction? What's kind of the the feeling that you have when you're meeting with him? 
It's both of those things, Mary, that mm -hmm. uh, here I am with the Vicar of Peter, yeah. and here I am uh, with my uh, principal, with my leader in the Episcopal ministry. And it's not either one of those things or the other. Sure. That uh, Peter is both a father and a brother to the to the bishops. Right. And I would say, coming out of it, my strongest sensibility was uh, we're all working together in the kingdom of God. I was going to say, I'm guessing that this uh, meeting was kind of in uh, preparation for your November meeting uh, of U.S. bishops. Is that right, Archbishop? Well, we do make a report to the the bishops about. Uh, uh, what we heard mm -hmm. and uh, what that might mean both in our individual diocese and for the work of the bishops conference mm. that's beautiful it was really it was really neat to see and just know and I, I i hope you do know that we're praying for you and we pray for the holy father um in the sage in our church and it's it's inspiring to know that you're getting together and visioning and talking about our church and where the spirit wants us it's it's good Amen. Well, today we get to talk about the communion of saints, the union between living saints, the saints in purgatory, and the saints in heaven. Can you share with us some of the history and background of this teaching of the church and maybe why everyone is referred to as saints rather than just those in heaven like we typically hear? Well, Mary, I think we need to go right back to the Apostles' Creed where we, uh, this is one of the articles of the creed that uh, from time immemorial, uh, Christians are expected to profess in order to be baptized, I believe, in the communion of saints. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really refers to the fact, uh, first of all, the, the com it's a communion of holy things. You, we see this already in the Acts of the Apostles. The, saint, the, the disciples held everything in common. Uh, it, it's part of the very economy, the ecology of uh, the work of Christ Jesus uh, to bring us into uh, a shared uh, uh, membership uh, in, in Christ. So it, it's a very ancient way of talking about what Jesus accomplishes. And it's fundamentally that he brings us into participation in that communion, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, it's as old as, as the work of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. really. And, uh, you know, the, the title of the saints, uh, we're the holy ones uh, the, uh, because we have sanctifying grace. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the title saint has become a, a, a particular designation for those who are canonized saints, mm -hmm. but all of us who are in sanctifying grace are holy. Uh, we sometimes don't appreciate this. Uh, the New Testament says that uh, uh, we have been made participants in the, in the very nature of God. This is our holiness. And uh, as long as we're uh, not in mortal sin, as long as uh, we're in fellowship with Christ, uh, we are holy. There's a bigger difference between uh, being in mortal sin and being in grace than there is between living in this world and being in heaven. We already live the life of heaven. It just doesn't look like it. Right, 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 right. Some days it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> it's very true. That's, yeah. It's an important thing to remember, though. I think it, it connects us in a really, obviously, deep and spiritual way with those that have gone before us, right? And um, 
That's the way to look at it. Right. Uh, Our communion isn't simply with those who are living in this world, Mm -hmm. but our communion is with all of those who are alive in Christ. We transcend uh, time and place. Right. I think one of the most uh, vivid ways people are aware of that is uh, to realize we live in communion with the Blessed Virgin Mary. I think I think the Catholic faith will have a very strong sense. I don't know if everybody would put it just the way I did. Sure. But uh, I think most I think we far and away Catholics understand that we live in communion with Our Lady. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, some of the points you just made, Archbishop, actually lead really well to this next question, which is which is basically like who is part of the communion of saints, but who who embodies that term communion of saints uh, fully. Well, uh, the communion of saints, uh, well, first of all, the, Mike, I maybe need to go back and say uh, the communion of, the, it's first of all the communion of the holy things, mm. so right. that uh, in the church we all share in the, the holy realities that have been opened to us uh, by the death and rising of Jesus Christ. And then in light of that, who are the holy ones? And it's everybody who is in grace, everyone who is uh, a friend of, uh, disciple of, uh, a friend of the Lord, everyone who is, uh, to use a Pauline term, everybody who's justified, everybody who's in sanctifying grace, uh, whether uh, in this world or in the next, uh, these are, this is the communion of the saints. Mm. And, and it's a str- the communion is stronger than death itself. Uh, Christ has conquered death, and so the, the bond of uh, union that holds us together is greater even than death. I know sometimes we're used to using the words, um, you know, church militant, church triumphant, and church suffering. Can you explain those terms and why we use them and how the three interact with each other? Well, we're talking about... Uh, the the holy ones, uh, those in God, in grace, uh, in this world, that's the ch- and we mean by that the church militant, and then uh, the church triumphant and the church suffering are those who have already passed out of this world, and uh, we're making distinctions about the roles that uh, each group plays in uh, within this communion within the church. Yeah. Uh, the church triumphant are uh, those of our brothers and sisters, the, those in Christ, who have already uh, passed into the, the victory. Mm-hmm. They're not, they don't need to struggle against evil. We're the church militant, you and me and Mike and all of us in this world, mm-hmm. because we're still uh, fighting the good fight. And the church suffering are... Uh, the holy souls, those who have passed out of this world and are not yet uh, sharing in the beatific vision, mm-hmm. are not yet face to face with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so these uh, terms uh, really talk about the state in which we, we live out uh, our identity as holy ones. Mm-hmm. And it seems like each of the three have a task or a, a job of vocation for each other. Can you explain that a little bit as well? Well, uh, I mean, the, those, the souls in heaven, the church, well, and Our Lady, of course, is body mm-hmm. and soul in heaven. Right. Uh, the church triumphant 
enjoys uh, the, the uh, friendship, the full friendship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, mm -hmm. and uh, gives God praise and glory constantly. Mm -hmm. And they also have uh, the grace of interceding, continuing to pray on our behalf, just as uh, we ask other people in the church uh, militant to pray for us, mm -hmm. we ask uh, the saints in heaven to pray for us as well. And uh, our job uh, as the church militant is in our age to be, we can put it this way, a lot of ways to talk about it, agents of the new creation, uh, uh, ambassadors for the kingdom of Christ. Uh, today especially we put emphasis on uh, the, our church militant as uh, our struggle to uh, share the gospel and uh, extend the boundaries of the kingdom of Christ. Uh, and uh, the church suffering, um, they are uh, uh, engaged in this process of uh, a final purification uh, so that they are able to see Christ face to face without any obstacle. You know, Archbishop, it, it occurs to me, like as you're speaking about this, this holistic reality of the communion of saints and the, the three parts, you know, the church militant, the church uh, triumphant, and the church suffering, I think sometimes we categorize these and, and we kind of put them in specific blocks, but it seems like there'd be a fluidity in the sense that, you know, those that are triumphant in heaven, you know, they're still in the fight with us, us church militant here on this side of death. Um, I don't know if you had, I don't know, just different thoughts on that, specific things that, how that occurs to you or how you, how you understand that? I think you make a very good point, Mike, and I hadn't uh, reflected too much on that uh, prior to your raising it. I mean, the categories are very, very apt. Uh, the, the church triumphant, the saints in heaven, uh, their own uh, personal uh, struggle is done. And uh, we, ours is still going on. And for the, the church suffering, uh, they are uh, done with their struggle in this world, but they're uh, completing their purification in order uh, to come into the presence of the all-holy God. So the categories are good, but I think we have to be, let, let me maybe borrow a term from uh, something in leadership uh, 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 literature. We have to be careful not to silo them. Mm. And in fact, we are all engaged in uh, the great uh, service of the kingdom of God, though in these three very different ways, we're engaged in glorifying God and in being mutually connected with one another. When I think about kind of the, the three different categories of the communion of saints, I, uh, the, the grouping that I have, and I think other people have the, the hardest time kind of understanding sometimes is those that are in purgatory or the church suffering. And so I wanted to kind of uh, dig into that a little bit with you. So when, when we talk about the church suffering or those in purgatory, what is the doctrine of purgatory? So what, what the church teaches on this group of saints? It really, uh, it, the uh, doctrine has developed, our clarity about what we mean has grown over time. Mm -hmm. And there are, in, in the teaching, uh, some things that are definitive and must be held by all Christians. Others are a little bit more speculative. Mm -hmm. But the doctrine is based on uh, the reality that from the very, even prior to the, the coming of Christ, 
God has revealed that it is appropriate to pray for the dead and that there can be uh, atonement made for the dead by the living uh, even after the uh, his uh, children have passed out of this world we find mm -hmm. that in this in uh, in Maccabees in the second book of Maccabees mm -hmm. and this is a practice that the church has continued and so uh, there must be a value to this prayer for the dead. Mm -hmm. There must be then this process by which those who pass out of this world uh, in friendship with God, mm -hmm. uh, not deserving of hell, mm -hmm. but uh, are able to uh, be assisted with a final purification. Mm -hmm. And so that is the doctrine mm -hmm. that uh, we are able to, uh, that, that there is a process by which the uh, the faithful are uh, prepared for eternal life and that's what purgatory is and uh, there are uh, the theologians uh, and and the doctrine of the church uh, tell us that there are three things that need to happen mm -hmm. in uh, in purgatory uh, in this process whether it's a place or a state a condition uh, that depends on uh, sometimes the way theologians think about it Mm. But what needs to happen is that uh, when people pass out of this world without, with venial sins that haven't been forgiven, mm -hmm. they need to be forgiven. When people pass out of this world without having made recompense for the consequences of their sin, mm. uh, uh, this recompense needs to be paid. And when people pass out of this world with uh, what we might call wounds to their heart, uh, habits, uh, appetites, uh, that are not in conformity with the heart of Christ, uh, these need to be healed. And so, uh, however God does this, uh, this is the process of purgatory. You know, Archbishop, it's interesting too, I know we're, we're always called, uh, obviously, to pray for those souls in purgatory. Um, how is it exactly, or I guess maybe not exactly, but how is it that our prayers really help them? You know, I know it's kind of a mysterious thing, uh, and obviously there's a support between all of us, those communion of saints, but how, do you, how would you best explain that to somebody? We can, uh, I think an analogy would be the way we support one another with our prayers in this world. Mm. Uh, uh, there are a lot of people who support me in my ministry, and they tell me they pray for me every day. Mm -hmm. They obtain for me the intervention of the Holy Spirit, and uh, a strength that's then given to me, a grace. And uh, it's very much like that, I think. Uh, it, it's by meriting, gaining the help of the Holy Spirit for those for whom we pray. And now beyond that, I have to say, I think it is quite mysterious. Mm -hmm. And there is theological speculation about how that works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, I find when I begin to think about it, I, I get... Uh, I, I come up against the, the veil of mystery. Hmm. Which in some ways, right, is the, the veil of mystery we have even as the, the church here on earth when we pray for each other and the efficaciousness of our prayer. Like we can explain it to a point and then it becomes, you know, the will of God and our prayers with God, right? Yes. I mean, we can do penance for one another in right? this world. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, you know, the, the temporal punishment due to sin, mm -hmm. uh, even when our sins are forgiven, there, is, there still are things that need to be put right. right. Uh, this is why, for example, uh, uh, 
uh, say of someone who confesses gossip is uh, not only in confession forgiven for that gossip, but is uh, uh, supposed to set the, the uh, set right the order uh, that has been uh, impeded or, yeah. or uh, distorted. That's um, why we're given penances uh, at the end of confession is to uh, make up for the temporal punishment that's due to our sins even after our sins have been forgiven. I think one of the most significant things as I consider uh, purgatory is that we need to be purified of the wounding effects of, of our sin. What happens when we sin is we move away from our identity uh, uh, as, God, as God's sons and daughters. Uh, there's a prayer the priest says at, after uh, Holy Communion, grant that no trace of sin may be left in me now that I have been refreshed by these pure and holy mysteries. And uh, every time we sin, there's uh, a residuum, a, a trace of rebellion mm -hmm. that remains in us. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we can't come into God's presence with that. Right. We, we have to be totally God's. Uh, in order to enjoy his, his paternity, in order to enjoy union with the, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. There's scars. We, we've yeah. got scar tissue on the yeah. soul, yeah. and it needs to be healed. That makes sense. I wanted to bring up that this month you highlighted a practice in a new pastoral note um, called A Call to Prayer, A Pastoral Note on Praying for the Souls in Purgatory, in which you, you announced a new diocesan lay apostolate called the Confraternity for Holy Souls. I would love to hear about this because I find the devotion for praying for the dead has become, um, I don't know, it's become personal for my family and I know a lot of our friends. And so it seems so timely that you put out this uh, pastoral note. So could you tell us a little bit about it? Well, it's... Uh my sense too, Mary, that if this is a timely initiative. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we all, part of being in the communion of saints is we have to support one another in the, uh, in the advancement of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. This is a great theme in the uh, papacy, in, in the, the papal service of Pope Francis, that we accompany one another. Yeah. And this accompaniment extends uh, beyond the grave. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think... Uh, at some points, we can be. It seems to me there are parts of our life where we're we're over we're forgetful about uh, this responsibility. We we're vividly aware that we need to pray for one another who are on the road in the world in this world together. Mm -hmm. But we also have a responsibility in charity to pray for those who are on the last leg of their road. So I think it's very timely to remember that the scope of our intercession, our mutual support, uh, goes beyond the grave. And I think it's a great uh, consolation for us to know that we're not isolated from those who have gone before us marked with the sign of faith, that we can continue to, to love them and care for them and uh, ask God to advance their happiness. I know Mary obviously brought up that pastoral note, and uh, I was just going to ask you another further question that in, in that pastoral note, you kind of really recommend or invite families to form confraternity chapters so as to better intercede and pray regularly for the souls in purgatory. How, what, how would you envision that? You know, if you were a pastor of a parish, how, how would you respond to that call or what would you seek to, to set up in place into your parish? 
my recommendation is to have a chapter in every family. Uh, so uh, I think you can have a, a chapter for several parishes. But uh, I'd look for one or two people for who feel the particular call to be the leader, just as in other works, uh, say something like Walking with Moms in Need these days. We mm. have uh, people who feel called to take the leadership in that. Uh, there's probably somebody or a few people in every parish who feel particularly called to take the leadership in this. And then uh, I think a good strategy is to look at the uh, resources that are available for those who want to form a chapter and for the priest to put those resources at the disposition of the lay leaders and uh, just let them go forward. And we have a lot of resources online about how to form a chapter and how to uh, support it in, in its vital functioning. I think that's such a good piece about being part of our diocese at AOD.org. If our listeners haven't been there, it, there's so many resources. And I know for our topic today, AOD.org slash Holy Souls will get you a lot of resources to be able to kind of really engage our families into this important work um, of the communion of saints, which is what we're all about. So, And the other, uh, I mean, as good and, and as important as it is for us to love the Holy Souls and support them mm -hmm. and uh, accompany them in this last period of their uh, growth in, in holiness and readiness to see God face to face. This is also a, re a reminder uh, that the church is more than uh, a reality of this world. Uh, as I've been thinking about this, the, the word of our Lord that echoes in my mind and heart is, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, this uh, prayer for the holy souls is a very vivid e experience, a vivid reminder uh, that we're made for more than, than this world. And uh, we are about preparing for the life to come. And that's our, the new Jerusalem is our true home. Here we have no abiding city. I think that's very important, particularly today when we live in a culture that uh, is so unmindful of God. And actually, there are a lot of voices in our culture that work uh, uh, very aggressively to deny uh, a role of the eternal God in the life of our, our, our society. And we live under God. And I think prayer for the holy souls is one more vivid way to remind us that we live in the light of eternity and uh, we will be judged uh, at the end of time. I know, Archbishop, we spent some good time talking about uh, specifically the, the souls in purgatory. And, um, you know, obviously a big piece of this communion of saints is obviously those saints that are in heaven, the church triumphant and stuff. I know for, for many, especially outside of the Catholic Church, it seems like a point of contention about praying, uh, you know, two saints. Why would we do that? You know, and I think there's obviously confusion around why we do that and how we do it, you know. So we've kind of talked a little bit about the why and the how of communion of saints. Uh, can you speak to us a little bit about, you know, uh, the, the sense that we have as Catholic Catholics of why do we pray to the saints in heaven and, uh, and what that's all about? A simple way to answer that, Mike, is to say that we ask one another uh, for prayers in this world. And the bond that holds us with those in heaven is uh, not broken by their passage out of the, the temporal sphere. 
And so they're very close to God and uh, it makes eminent sense to us to ask them to pray to God for us. That's why we use the word intercession. Uh, we don't worship the holy soul, uh, the saints in heaven. Uh, there are brothers and sisters. Uh, the Blessed Virgin is our mother. Uh, we ask them to uh, pray for us. And I think uh, another way to say it is we ask if we can pray with them. We ask mm. to unite our prayers with theirs, confident that their prayers are very powerful because they're in perfect union of mind and heart with the Lord Jesus. To that end, we also we sometimes hear about patron saints. Um, what is a patron saint? How does one become a patron saint of something? Well, a patron saint is uh, a figure uh, who has a particular, um, we might say competence, or whose experience in life uh, means that it, it makes a lot of sense to go to them and, and ask for them uh, to be uh, kind of an advocate for us. Also, uh, another piece of being a patron is being a good example. So one that comes immediately to my mind is my patron, the patron of all of us parish priests, uh, St. John Vianney. Uh, he experienced uh, so very much of what is our day-to-day -day experience. And so we ask him to pray for us with a sense that he knows the kinds of uh, uh, needs that we parish priests have, and he can pray uh, very eloquently for us and at the same time be for us a, a good example. Uh, there are patrons uh, for particular kinds of illness. Um, I think uh, without being officially designated a patron, uh, Blessed Solanus is very much a patron for us here in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Uh, somebody that we go to and ask him to pray uh, along with us and for us. Uh, for the things, and, and in doing this, he's simply continuing the, the work God gave him when he, he lived in the friary. He was already interceding for uh, the needy and the sick and the troubled, so he continues to do that. Some patrons are official uh, by an act of uh, uh, the authority in the church. Others are our own uh, personal uh, uh, connections, and some of them just grow up over time. Uh, for example, St. Anne is the patroness of the Archdiocese of Detroit. And uh, when I, I wrote to the uh, Office for Divine Worship in the Vatican to ask this to be made official, uh, their response to me was, well, we, we don't really need to make it official. All we need to do is recognize that this is the way the people of the Archdiocese have lived their life uh, for generations. And so she has been your patroness, and uh, we're happy to affirm her status that way. There's such a, like, it's a family connection, I think, sometimes to our patron saints. And you were talking about St. John Vianney. I was thinking myself there, um, St. John Bosco is the patron saint of young people. And so he's always been really important in my life with the work that I do with youth in the Archdiocese of Detroit. And being that I just started uh, working again in a high school, I find I ask his intercession so often just to remember students' names. Like, it can be that simple because, you know, we have 700 students and I know how names are important, knowing kids' names. And it's hard for 
for me to remember their names. But I find when I start my day asking for the intercession of St. John Bosco, the patron saint of youth, to help me to remember the names of the students, I do remember more students' names when they come in my office. <laughs> so there's something so beautiful about that connection. It can be that simple, you know, that uh, they want to pray for us and we can trust in their prayers. It's, it's a really beautiful thing. Our salvation is linked one with another. Hmm. And we don't walk the path to the New Jerusalem alone. And it's great to have companions. Yeah. And I know that there are uh, some uh, Christians, non-Catholic Christians, who are concerned that somehow the affection we have for the saints can uh, take away or subtract from our total allegiance to Christ. That's not at all our sense. And in fact, there's a beautiful line mm -hmm. in the liturgy that says that when we honor uh, the virtue of the saints and we show affection to them, we are honoring what God has done in them. And what we love in them mm. is what God has done in them. We, we are loving Christ in John Bosco, in John Vianney, uh, in St. Joseph, in St. Therese. Uh, this is a way uh, they magnify God, and we, we appreciate mm -hmm. uh, uh, what God has done in them. Mike, who's your patron? My patron? I don't know. That's a tough one. I would say I pray to a variety of different people. I've had um, St. Michael, obviously. Um, uh, yeah. St. John, <laughs> John Paul II, I know. I don't know. Just He mm -hmm. was um, just a big figure in my in my teen years and coming into adulthood so praying uh regularly to him beyond that i mean i would just say recently i this within this last year i read story of a soul about tres Sue. and i you know of course i knew about tres Sue, but i just recently read that book um and then i don't know i would say I, i've through reading that book kind of gave me obviously a a window into her soul and into her as a person and i would say that i've i've begun praying for her intercession more frequently uh of late, um, obviously being introduced by that book. So I would say it really it shifts as time goes on, you know? Depends on the yeah, day. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it like does. It. Uh, <laughs> the, the riches are so great, you know? Uh, yeah. Part of the, the meaning of communio sanctorum is a communion of holy things. Uh, the treasury mm -hmm. of, the, of the holy things we share is boundless. Mm. It, uh, there is no... Because... It's the, the, the treasury of the riches of Christ, and Christ's riches are infinite. I was going to say, it occurred to me earlier, Archbishop, when you were speaking, a thought that came to my mind was, um, I liked how you were saying, um, when, we, when we look at these great saints, these great figures, and even when we remember the, the dead, the people who have passed away that maybe aren't saints yet, but are simply in purgatory, um, we recall, if you will, like the way you said, the way that what we honor is the way that God, they participated in God's own divine nature. And so we appreciate that. We appreciate the way that they participated. But even their participation wouldn't have been possible without God's love and his grace and his strength. So and like you said, in, a, in an indirect way, when we're appreciating these different people, it always is appreciation of God because it, there's a, mm -hmm. it's God who is himself love. So if they were loving, it was them uh, participating in ex and bringing about God, the love that God himself is, right? So it never detracts from God. There's not a competition going on there. You know, I like the way you said that. That was beautiful. Hasn't it been uh, eloquently expressed by Our Lady? 
he who is mighty has done great things in me, in mm -hmm. for, for me. Holy is his name. Well, and along that point, too, I know, obviously, we haven't really spoken about this part yet, but I mean, obviously, us, the church militant here on earth, praying not just for the souls in purgatory, not just praying to the saints in heaven, but also praying for one another. It seems to me it just it's an extension of that same mystery and reality, right? Because if God is calling us to participate in his love, and love is to look outside of ourselves to will the good of the other, it's just automatic that we would we would want to pray for our brethren, the people around us, for their good, for their participation in the divine life as well. Isn't that, isn't that, would that be right, Archbishop? Oh, I agree with you, Mike. And this is really important for us as uh, 21st century Americans with our hyper uh, individualism. Mm -hmm. uh, I can do it on my own. Uh, and uh, they tell me that uh, uh, social media is even making us more isolated, mm -hmm. uh, that we come to God as a family. And in fact, being made a family, uh, being uh, entering into communion, is in one way the very definition of salvation. Uh, what was the fruit of uh, the original sin? It was the dissolution of the bond between God and the human race and between husband and wife. They turned on one another. And uh, this... Uh, dissolving of communion. This is hell. Uh, mm. There's a beautiful uh, line in a book by uh, the French novelist Bernanos, the novel, The, uh, the uh, Diary of a Country Priest. And uh, a priest uh, in confession, the, the principal priest becomes a bit exasperated with one of the penitents and he uh, says very forcefully, Hell is being alone. Hell is not being able to love anymore. Mm. Uh, the point being, uh, this is damnation, is to be alone, and to be alone for all eternity. And salvation is to be in union, in friendship, in communion. And uh, we're saved as part of the church, not as uh, uh, isolated individuals. Mm. not as pieces, not as separable pieces. It's been such a good conversation and, and obviously so timely because we've, you know, as a church celebrated All Saints Day and All Souls Day, which are two of my favorite feast days, um, particularly I'll say in the domestic church, right? Helping my kids understand their role in the communion of saints, both as our beloved ones who've passed away and the saints intercession with us. There's a lot you can do with with little people with that. And so in celebrating those feast days, it's it, this is such a good conversation to have coming off of the heels of that. I was wondering if there's anything else you want to add in terms of how we can live the communion of saints really practically in our day-to-day -day lives and our day-to-day -day spiritualities. I, I would go back uh, to make a point about All Saints Day, Mary, that one of the things we remember on All Saints Day is that uh, the, the souls in heaven, the church triumphant, is made up of more than the canonized saints. And we can hope that our beloved are there already. And uh, we can ask them to pray for us as well. I think uh, that's very, very important. Um, how we can live this? I think two very practical things uh, are, one, uh, to have a sense of uh, patrons and people that, uh, depending on where we are and what's going on in our lives, uh, that we can turn to. 
That's very important. And I think to make prayer for the dead uh, an integral part of our daily prayer. Uh, I don't know if people uh, take note of the fact that we never offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass without including the dead as part of the object of our offering. That when we offer, I think it's Saint Cyril of Jerusalem says, when we offer the holy victim, uh, the atoning victim in Mass, we always uh, ask God to apply uh, the, uh, the fruit of the Lord's sacrifice to those who have gone before us in, in death. We, the, the church never passes a day without praying for the dead. Beautiful. Like, well, as Mary said, I think great conversation, great, great things to think about and reflect on and uh, maybe stuff we've already thought of before, but it's always good just to bring it back up and then just to remember these things and the, the depths and the mysteries of our faith, you know? So Archbishop, I, I wondered if there was any specific prayer intentions that you had that we could, uh, us listeners and, and Mary and myself could keep in mind and pray for you for this next uh, number of weeks. Well, uh, of course, we're uh, well into the middle of our uh, year of prayer for uh, priestly vocations in the archdiocese. I'd ask everybody to please continue to uh, be constant in that prayer and to give God thanks ahead of time for uh, what uh, the fruit that our prayer will bring because we know it will be fruitful. It may not be exactly the fruit we expect, but it will be fruitful and the fruit will be what we really need. God knows better than ourselves what we need. Um, another important petition is, uh, regardless of uh, what will have happened uh, with uh, Proposition or Proposal 3, uh, the church needs to be uh, the faithful. All of us need to be rededicated to walking with moms in need and that uh, we will uh, live up to our vocation uh, to uh, to walk with moms in need. I think those are very important prayers. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Archbishop. We'll keep those in mind for sure. And if you, uh, if you wouldn't mind, we'd love to have a, a final prayer and blessing from yourself. Lord God, we give you praise and thanks for your saints, those whom uh, we know from the history of the church, those known to yourself alone, who even this day glorify you. We ask that... Uh, you will hear their prayers for us and that uh, we will continue to walk faithfully on the road to the new Jerusalem. And we pray for the souls of the faithful departed that may they rest in peace and soon come into your presence. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And may Almighty God bless everyone, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like I Am Here, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.